reading for the message this morning, coming again from this ninth chapter of the book of Judges. And now these final verses, verse 50 to 57. Then went Abimelech to Thebes, and he camped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and thither fled all the men and women, all they of the city, and shut it to them, and got them up to the top of the tower. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard unto the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. Then he called hastily unto the young man, his armor bearer, and said unto him, Draw thy sword and slay me. Men, say not of me. A woman slew him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. When the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man unto his place. Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech which he did unto his father in slaying his seventy brethren. And all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. Turn with me before the message, if you will. To number 1130, 1130 in your hymn book, and stand with me as we sing together. 1130. <clears throat> the day of wrath, thy dreadful day. When heaven and earth shall pass away, what power shall be the sinner's thing? How shall he meet that dreadful day? When trembling like a parched scroll, the flaming hands together rule, and louder yet, and yet more dread, resound the trump that wakes the dead. On oh, that day, that wrathful day, when man to judgment wakes from claim, be thou, O Christ, the sinner's name, though heaven and earth shall pass away. Thank you. Be seated. <coughs> <coughs> This morning we've come at last to these final verses in the ninth chapter, the record of the judges in Israel, including today's message. It will have taken us 12 sermons to cover even just the 
main contents of this chapter. I confess to you that for me, this has been one of the most difficult undertakings of my whole preaching career. This chapter is pregnant with treachery, vileness, darkness, and villainy. I have at times feared that a steady diet of its contents would drive us all into a melancholy of despair. But I have managed to press on only because of the declaration found in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Thoroughly furnished, literally translated, perfected unto all good works. This mandate, as I take it to be, along with the encouragement of my good wife, has held my head up in the march through these terrible scenes. And so then we've arrived this morning at the 50th verse at last. We've seen the appalling murder, fratricide of Gideon's noble sons. And that by the hand of a bastard child of a Gentile concubine, Abimelech. We've seen that bloody, murderous beast of a man go on to thrust himself into a self-appointed kingship financed by those equally evil cohorts in his diseased, prideful malignancy under the banner of pagan idolatry. We've seen him breed Abimelech breed his hatred and evil until in nothing more than three years his own brethren have risen up to kill him and topple his government. The Bible said they laid in wait. We've watched his own villainous brethren, the Shechemites, which he heralded himself to be of their brethren, brotherhood, We've watched those brethren embrace a stranger. Gaul, the son of Ebed, embraced a stranger who challenged Abimelech's rule. And that, under the influence of a drunken rage, and with the aid of yet another villain, Zebed. We've seen this poisonous adder, Abimelech, collect his forces on last week and exact his revenge, bathing the ground in Israel again in the blood of his own people and burning alive the paltry remnant about a thousand men and women. And now, as we come to our text in verse 50, we find this demon of death and disaster like a wild, ravenous dog who's tasted the blood of an innocent lamb. We see him unbridled in a rage of terror and devastation. Verse 50. Then went Abimelech to Tebez and encamped against Thebes and took it for reasons not told to us in this text 
Abimelech moves his army to a neighboring village from Shechem, which he had destroyed and burned and salted. He moves his armies to a neighboring village and like, like the famous Sherman's march to the sea in December of 1864, Abimelech seems to adopt a scorched earth policy and crushes everything in his path. Verse 50 tells us that he took the city officially. But 51 tells us, verse 51 tells us that there was a tiny contingency who escaped the initial slaughter and took up refuge in the tower of the city. Verse 51, but there was a strong tower within the city and thither fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and get them up to the top of the tower. By all appearances, they're trapped. The door is sprung and the prey is locked helplessly in the trap. I said, by all appearances. Immediately, Abimelech rushes to incorporate again that tactic which had only recently given him such great success and with reckless abandon he prepares yet another human burning. Verse 52. And Abimelech came unto the tower and fought against it and went hard under the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Matthew Henry wisely said Abimelech had succeeded at this ploy already once, but now he expects no trouble to succeed again. Then he makes this statement, God often infatuates those whom he intends to ruin. Oh, when they thrust out their chest and boldly crow like the spring rooster, behold, destruction lingers only a stone's throw away. Infatuated they may be with their own supposed success, but God still reigns in the heavens. Psalm 37, verse 1, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass, and wither as the green herb. Verse 9, for evildoers shall be cut off. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth for yet a little while. And the wicked shall not be, yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. Verse 12, the wicked ploweth against the just, plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him. For he seeth that his day is coming. I said from all appearances, it looked like it was over for these people. And Abimelech thrusts out his chest in pride and arrogance because he has been so successful to now and he goes about the business as he had gone about it before and thus it is with the sinner God in his great wisdom and providence allows for him to work his dastardly work and do that wickedness that pleases his heart and the man becomes intoxicated with his own pride and Believes himself to be impenetrable. Thus it is with the sinner. 
but all standing somewhere, standing somewhere in the shadows of God's providence is the sickle of God's justice ready to cut down the wheat of that depraved disobedience. Somewhere standing the shadows of God's providence. The sickle of God's justice is in his hand. He will cut down that Oh, verse 53, and a certain woman cast a piece of a millstone upon Abimelech's head and all to break his skull. It's an interesting translation in that text, verse 53. The three words, a piece of, four words, a piece of a millstone is technically called the nether stone. It's the upper part of a millstone, the nether stone, the upper stone. And while this prideful man is arranging the components for his vile, terrible act of murdering, burning people alive at which he's had so much success up to now, while he's doing that, God has ordered that a little woman is standing on the top of the tower and she has another millstone. And this unknown, unnamed woman with some nondescript implement of her mundane daily service, has brought a mighty tyrant to a halt. Hallelujah. Finally, the evil is over. This dear woman and her appearance here in our text thrusts our thoughts forward in time to that nameless, aimless bowman in First Kings chapter 22, does it not? Does it not put us in the mind of that man that's been referred to, and I think well, as the nameless, aimless bowman? Verse 34 of that text says, And a certain man drew a bow out of venture. And smote the king of Israel between the joints of his hearts. Wherefore he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand and carry me out of the host, for I'm wounded. <laughs> oh, this nameless and I think aimless woman. Oh, the guiding hand of God's ever wise providence never misses his object of judgment. Did you hear me? He might have been an aimless bowman. She might have been an aimless woman with a nether stone. But the good, wise, guiding hand of our ever wise God in his providence never misses the object of his judgment. Could I just pause here in the story, in the record, and gather up a couple of lessons to our hearts? Looking at this dear woman, number one, I would press to your heart this truth. This woman had no guarantee of life for more than just a few hours when she left her home that day. Here comes this savage, murderous Abimelech with all of his army and 
came to their town that day. She had no expectation of any of this. She's in her home living her life, being faithful, doing what she's supposed to do. And suddenly here's this man and he paints the town. Verse 50, he took it. This woman grabs up what she can and grabs up what she thinks she could need and rushes off with the rest of the town into this tower. She had no idea what was going to happen. She had no, no probable hope uh, of living to the end of this day. But she didn't flee empty handed. She took what she needed to care for her family. Every woman needed the nether stone because they ground their grain daily and they needed that. She needed that. Without any promise of tomorrow, she fled with every intention of being faithful to her duties, planning farther into the future for her family, even though she had no guarantee of it. In the most impossible circumstances, she remained faithful to the duties of her family. Hallelujah. Can I just say bless the Lord. I, this dear woman. She didn't run off. Hey can I just step out on a little bit of a limb. And say to you. She didn't flee with her cosmetic bag. When she went out the door. She didn't grab up things for herself. She grabbed the nether stone and bled with it because if they were going to live, she's going to need that. Do you get it? Well, I hope you get it. She intended to be faithful to her duties for as long as God would give her life to do it. She needed that nether stone. I promise you she never fled into that tower with any idea of it being anything but a nether stone. Number two, when it seemed that all hope was lost. They're in the tower now. They're up in the top of the tower now. She looks down. She sees what's happening. There's nothing they can do about it. She knows the end is near. Being a faithful woman, desperate for her family, when it seemed that all hope was lost, she cast her all into the final battle, not knowing what good it could possibly do if it. She cast all she had left through it into the battle, not knowing if it would do any good at all. Oh, surely she never thought as she fled her home into that tower that day. She never had any thought of this stone as some kind of a weapon of war. She certainly had no skill in aiming it. But she thrust it in. It's all she had. Oh, hallelujah. God give us women. God give us wives. God give us mothers that will throw it all in to the battle. Not knowing what God will or will not do. She was faithful. She said in her mind essentially, essentially, 
This evil may take my home. This evil man may take my husband. He may take my children. But I'll throw everything I've got at trying to stop him. Hey, man, hallelujah. For a woman with a heart like that. I'll throw everything I've got at stopping Can I say to you mothers and wives, young women aspiring to be mothers and wives, throw everything you've got. Hold back nothing. Spare nothing. Give everything you've got. And push it back. The enemy. Prayer. Sacrifice. Service. I asked my wife to remind me I'd forgotten some of it briefly of the history of Augusta. I couldn't help but think of it as I studied this text and studied this woman's actions. Augustine in his Confessions in 397 said this about his mother as he was praying. He's praying. He's in prayer. He's in prayer. And he says these words about his mother. He said, my mother, your faithful servant, wept for me before you more than mothers weep when lamenting their dead children. You heard her and did not despise her tears, which poured forth to wet the ground under her eye in every place where she prayed. What a thing. What a testimony. Augustine's before the Lord. He said, Lord, you hurt my mother. You hurt my mother. She wet the ground. Everywhere she prayed for me. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to encourage you mothers, sisters, wives. Throw away on everything you've got. Throw everything in. Spare nothing. Like Augustine's mother did. Sacrifice. Service. Hold back nothing. This dear woman went into that tower thinking I'm going to need this. Until she realized there wasn't going to be enough tomorrow. There wasn't going to be another meal. So she said I'll, I'll throw it. I'll throw it at the enemy. It's all of God. It's all I can do. Oh, blessed God, give us such women. Lesson number three. Our God in His great wisdom and power. Hear me now. <laughs> this is shouting ground, but I'll try not to shout. Our God in His great wisdom and power can take even the simplest implement of modest service and transform it into a great missile for conquering even the mighty. Even when it's wielded in the hands of a nameless, weak vessel. Let me just say all that again for you. Our God in His great wisdom and power can take even the simplest implement of modest service. I mean, what could be more simple in the household in Israel than a nether stone? I mean, I bet all you ladies have a favorite frying pan. Or a favorite, favorite pot. That's what she did. She grabbed up her cooking implements. Headed out to the tower. And I'm here to tell you this morning. Oh, 
I hope you see it by God's help. God is of such wisdom and power that he can take even the simplest implement of modest service and transform it. Yes, indeed. Into a great missile of conquering might even when it's wielded in the hands of a nameless weak vessel. That woman didn't go into that town anticipating getting any merits for being a great warrior in Israel. It was the furthest thing from her mind. But in that moment, in that hour, she thrust it out and God owned it. God owned it. God owned it. Hallelujah. Oh, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says, The mighty things of this world are confounded by the weak things of God. And so it was so with this precious little woman standing on the boards of the battlements of the tower. She looked down, did what she could. Psalm 37 and verse 35, I've seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away. And lo, he is not. Yea, I saw him, but he could not be found. But mark the perfect man. Behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Hallelujah. Oh, chapter 73. Chapter 73 of the psalm, verse 11, and they say, they say, how doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? No doubt that was more or less the attitude of Abimelech. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I've cleansed my heart in vain, said the psalmist. And wash my hands in innocence all the day long. Have I been plagued and chastened every morning? If I say I'll speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. <laughs> Oh, God can take your little service. Whatever it is. God can take your little service and destroy great enemies. Oh, don't ever think whatever you're doing is mundane. It's trivial. It's nothing. This dear woman Testify against that attitude. Take whatever humble instrument you have. If it's a skill, if it's knowledge, if it's graces, whatever God puts in your hand, throw it in. Throw it in. God can own it to its object. Oh, our God. Our God, notice this in this text, our God seems often to order His judgments to suit the crimes of His enemy. Oh, in verse 5, we saw that Abimelech, that vile, godless slave of his own evil passions, he took the lives of 69 of Gideon's proper sons all on one stone. And now God has furnished him again with one stone. Oh, can I tell you about the perfection, the perfection of the justice of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Psalm 109 and verse 17, an interesting verse. Verse 17, he said, As he loved cursing, 
so let it come upon him. As he delighted not in blessing, so let it be far from him. Can I say that how I said that again? God will often match his punishment to the crime with such perfection that it's seamless. Oh, the perfection of God's justice. Oh, this was the one thing that helped my heart when I moved out of my days of general believing in a general redemption to realizing the particularity of God's redemption. Oh, listen to me. God will match the punishment to the crime and there will never be an ounce more nor an ounce less than what perfect justice demands. Christ went yonder to Calvary. He paid for every sin. Of everyone, of all of his that the Father gave him, and not an ounce more. There's nothing justice does not demand more than the crime, but it demands all that the crime necessitates. The atonement of Christ. Jesus didn't just paint the world with atonement. He paid for everything. Single crime. The justice of God matched the punishment to the crime. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's a two-edged sword, isn't it? For those that have no interest in it, they'll be confronted with the reality that God made no provision for them. But for those of us that have an interest in it, there's not one that I can come to my mind, not one of my crimes that makes me bow and humble. Not one. He didn't pay for it. He paid for it. He saw it and he paid for it. Oh, no wonder the sun turned its back and the earth shut its eyes. When God exacted from His Son payment for every one of them. God's justice is perfect. But now, in verse 54, reminding us of that other transgressor later in Israel's history, You remember him, Saul. Reminding us of that other transgressor in 1 Samuel 31. Abimelech turns to self-murder to add to the atrocity of his other crimes. Verse 54, Then he called hastily unto the young man his armor-bearer and said unto him, Draw thy sword. And slay me. Men may not say a woman slew him. And his young man thrust, young man thrust him through. And he died. I said this vile transgressor. Abimelech turns to self-murder to add to the atrocity of all his other crimes. I don't want to get off track. I won't get off track this morning. I made no notes and I won't get off track to talk about suicide. I'll just say this to you. Somebody very wisely said suicide is like burning the candle of life at the service of the devil and then blowing the smoke in God's face at the end. Somebody else said suicide is saying I want to commit the ultimate crime. I want to destroy the image of God 
and I don't even want time to repent of it. Hmm. Self-murder, Abimelech adds to his long, atrocious list of crimes. Roger said of one of the popes, Boniface VIII, that he entered like a fox, ruled like a lion, and died like a dog. So it is with Abimelech. Matthew Henry said his foolish pride in laying so much to heart this little circumstance of his disgrace here was no care taken about his precious soul, no concern what would become of that, no prayer to God for his mercy, but he was very solicitous to patch up his shattered credit when there is no patching his shattered skull. Oh, let it never be said that a mighty man as Abimelech was killed by a woman was his last thought. The man was dying. The man was dying, said Matthew Henry, but his pride was alive and strong. And the same vain, glorious humor that had governed him all along now appears again at last. Qualis vita finis ita the Latin, as was his life, such was his death. He died like a dog without any concern for his soul, only for his pride. God who could have snatched him out into eternity with the first blow gives him yet another breath. And he uses that last mercy to further compound his sin. Oh, what a cruel and merciless tyrant and taskmaster pride is. Someone said, could he think, could he think, that this would conceal what the woman had done and not rather proclaim it the more. Nay, it added to the infamy of his death, for hereby he became a self-murderer. Better have it said that a woman slew him than it should be said that his servant slew him and that by his own order. Yet now both will be said of him to his everlasting reproach. And it is observable that this very thing which Abimelech was in such care to conceal appears to have been more the particularly remembered by posterity than most of the passages of his life. <laughs> Someone very wisely said, Evil pursues sinners and sometimes overtake them, overtakes them when they are not only secure, but triumphant. Abimelech went to that tower that day with all of his victories behind him and very secure he's got the prey trapped. This writer said, God, God will allow evil to pursue the sinner, sometimes overtaking them when they are not only secure, but triumphant, but overtake them, it will. Bimelech had more fear of infamy 
than he had of damnation. Oh, can I just alert you to one other shocking thought from this text? Abimelech, by his own testimony in verse 54, must have seen the hand that wrought his destruction. Can you just visualize that moment? Here's the woman on the top of the battlements. He cast over this stone. He must have, for whatever reason, in God's providence, working on building a fire at the bottom, he must have just looked up. And he saw this woman. We have no indication from the text that she necessarily saw him or picked him out. But clearly, he saw her. <laughs> oh, can I tell you this? The wicked will know at last the surety of their damnation. I don't know if she saw him or not. I don't know. I'm fairly sure if she did, she didn't know him. But he saw her. And he knew exactly what had happened. Can I just remind you this morning? The wicked will know at last the surety of their damnation. There's that terrible word in Luke 16 verse 25. Son, remember. Whoa! Memory in hell! Memory in hell! Memory in Son, remember? Alas, his attempt to conceal his shame only served to spread it. This is shocking. Two hundred years later, in Second Samuel chapter 11 and verse 21, Two hundred years later, Nathan's parable, Second Samuel 11 and 21, who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerobethshea? Did not a woman cast A piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that it died in Thebes. What's he talking about? 200 years later, he's recounting Abimelech's shame. Senator, you can't hide it. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. God will drag it out in the broad light of day. I was smitten in my own heart with a graphic illustration of this this week. My own life, my own experience. I found an old clapboard shack out in the woods down in one section of Coweta County way out in the woods was an old house and it had fallen in and rotted fallen down, I mean rotted there were little pylons of handmade bricks for the foundation where the timbers went across for the floor and all the bricks were crumbling with age, just you could touch them and they crumbled into powder. And all the timbers had fallen on the ground and were rotted. You could just basically see the outline of where they were, moss growing over them. There was an old crumbling chimney, and the chimney had moss and vines growing all over it, consuming it. Everything was gone. I looked around, I tried to find anything. Couldn't find any. The tin 
had fallen in the dirt and it had rusted to its paper thin. There was just nothing left. Everything was rotting. Except one thing. Strewn around on the property. Gleaming in the sunlight undisturbed and preserved for posterity. Guess what it was? Liquor bottles. Bottles of liquor. And my heart smote me and said, Oh God, everything is gone of the families and generations that live here. The lives that pass through this place, they're all gone. It's all rotted and gone. Except these little testimonies laying around in the sun, each one I looked at seemed to say, Hey, let me testify. Let me tell you about these people. Hey, let me testify. Let me tell you about these people. Infamy and shame. Nothing left here but liquor bottles to testify of these people's lives. The shame. Lives on. You hear me? The shame lives on. And it doesn't disappear. So now finally, we come to verse 55. And we find that it's the end of a tyrant. And when the tyrant is ended, so is the tyranny. Verse 55, And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Thank God it's the end of the tyrant. And it's the end of the tyranny. And now the Holy Spirit of our God draws our hearts to his intended design in all of these things when he says, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did unto his father and slaying his seventy brethren. God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech and all the evil of the men of Shechem did God render upon their hands. Upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbabel. The Holy Spirit of our God draws our hearts to his intended design in all these things. Oh, surely Psalm 58 verse 10 comes to mind. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And then in something of a summary of these lessons, Bush said this, God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. In several particulars, says Bush, herein God manifested his retributive justice. Abimelech was slain with one stone, even as he had killed his brothers upon one stone. The instrument of death fell on his head, and it was upon this head that the usurper had set his crown. It was a woman that killed him, even as it had, even as he had used the influence of a woman, his Canaanitish mother. And that of her plan to effect his evil. Vain glory and ambition had been his idol all his life. And now he must die an inglorious death. Slain by a woman. Yet something worse remained, says Bush. He tries to avert the stigma so degrading to a warrior to be slain by a woman. 
His servant shall thrust him through. Fool that he was, he was only brand, he has only branded himself with the additional and awful infamy of being a self-murderer. Now listen to this. Jealousy of his short-lived reputation. He was reckless with his immortal soul. The exaltation of his ascension was far exceeded by Israel's joy at his death. It was said of Boniface VIII, and I referred to this earlier, Pope Boniface VIII, it was said of him that he came in like a fox, reigned like a liar, and died like a dog. How numerous are such vain fools who rush into death of the body and soul, anxious about nothing but what men will say about them. My goodness. All oh, the vanity of the unregenerate heart. Let us not miss this one last lesson here that I will give you right at the close of this holy record. In summary of it all, in verse 56, the scripture says, Thus God rendered the wickedness of Abimelech, which he did, Unto his father. Don't miss this. At the conclusion of this long and painful record. Chapter 9. Fairly dripping with blood. There is this. That the whole horrible account is put down to this. Abimelech's wickedness done against his father. Whoa, I tell you, the pulpit commentator said, it is, a remar it is remarkable that the sacred writer in calling attention to the righteous vengeance which fell on the head of Abimelech makes especial note of this one thing, the conduct of Abimelech. Toward his father. Undutiful. To his father. I ask you this morning. In our pulpits across this land. Whatever happened. To sounding this alarm. Whatever happened to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother. That thy days may be long upon the land. Which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I laid in my bed last night and pondered that text. And I can say to you that if you have children that are vile. So vile that they will do dishonor to you. Be not surprised if you live to bury them. Honor thy father and thy mother. That thy days may be long. Whatever happened to Exodus chapter 21 and verse 17. And he that curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Whatever happened to our Lord's words in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 4. For God commanded, commanded saying, honor thy father and thy mother. And he that curses father or mother, let him die to death. Whatever happened to that preaching? From our pulpits. Oh we've come to a vile. And godless generation. That no more demands these things. One commentator said. Wrong to a parent. Listen now. Wrong to a parent. Is a heinous sin. Brings a heavy punishment. God's endurance waits long, but suddenly cuts off in the end. The longer the penalty of sin is in coming, the heavier it will be at last. Men's own wickedness becomes at the last their scourge. Bloodshed can never be lasting cement, and alliances based on
Conspiracy for evil come to an end the moment self-interest comes in the way. Conspirators in evil are made their own mutual executioners in judgment. No tower of human strength can save them. The Shechemites perished with their tower before Abimelech. Then Abimelech perished before another tower. Oh, the crime, the crime of abusing one's father and mother. In closing this morning, I thought that I could render no better conclusion to this study than the inspired words of our God in His own words. Psalm 58. The wicked, said the psalmist in verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. I've used that text in jail a lot. Because when you say that to men in jail, they, they look at you like, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Now, babies are innocent. Mine weren't. Mine weren't. I tell them, my wife, my little wife, she was only so young and I was so young. We had that first little baby. Brought him home. Oh, she would wash him. He'd be so clean, smelling that nice stuff. Swaddle him in warm things. Nurse him. His little belly was full. He'd go off and ooh, he was so sound asleep. She'd ease in there and put him in the little crib and cover him up. Ease out the door and as soon as that door went shut, he thought something was killing him. What's wrong with this child? Run in there and get him. What's wrong with him? Nothing. He's a liar. He wants her to pick him up. <laughs> hey. The Bible said they go forth from the womb speaking lies. They're lying before they can even talk. Do you know that? All you mothers know that. They're lying before they can talk. Listen verse 4. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear which will not hearken to the voice of charmers charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, oh God. If you want to know where I got the title for my message, now you know. Break their teeth, oh God. In their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, oh Lord. Let them melt away his waters which run continually. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as a cut in pieces. As a snail which melted, let every one of them pass away like the untimely birth of a woman that they may not see the sun before your pots can feed the thorns. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. Hallelujah. Abimelech learned it. But alas, he learned it too late. Turn with me in your hymn book, please, and stand with me again. We sing together hymn number 1135. 
shall shake the hills their ancient seeds forsake and withering from the bolt of night the stars withdraw their feeble light the Lord will come but not the same as once in holy form he came a quiet lamb to the suffering and the dead. The Lord will come a dreadful form with wreath of flame and robe of storm on cherub wings and wings of wind anointed judge of humankind. Can this be he who wants to stray a pilgrim on the world's highway by power oppressed and mocked by Oh God, is this the crucified? Go tyrants to the rocks complain. Go seek the mountains cleft in vain. My faith victorious over the two shall sing for 